it's good to, good to be here with you. Uh, we're looking at chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, if you don't have your Bibles, grab a Bible in front of you. If you have them, open them up. Or open up your smartphones or whatever you use to look at your scripture. And to chapter 4 of Ephesians, we continue in our series, Becoming Who We Are. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about titles this week. And when people are given a title, usually there are certain expectations that go along with a uh, particular title or a particular name. If someone has a DR period before their name and it's a medical doctor... Uh, there's a reasonable expectation that, uh, when that when a guy starts choking in a restaurant, the guy with the DR before his name will probably be the first to you know, move into action. That's a reasonable expectation. You know, he's choking on a piece of kielbasa. And you know, at least you hope the guy with the DR before his name can do the Heimlich maneuver, right? You, you hope he can at least do that. Um, if you're a high school history teacher. You would hope and it'd be expected that you could point out Europe on a map. If someone wears a New York Jets jersey, you would expect that they would be able to point to the bottom of the standings and the American Conference. (laughs) Sorry. I had to throw that in. Being a Giants fan too, so I have nothing to to talk about. I really don't. Anyway, depending on the title, depending on the profession, People expect certain things of you. They really do. And, and in, uh, first, uh, in Ephesians 1 through 3, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul that we've been talking about hangs a bunch of titles on Christians. He gives them names that maybe uh, they had heard before, but maybe ne- never really embraced before. Titles like uh, forgiven and, and, and chosen and redeemed and adopted. And I went through the first three chapters this week, and every time those titles were mentioned, I wrote them down, and I can't believe how many titles are laid on these Ephesian Christians, and so for, and so, consequently are laid on us, because we're Christians too. All these things are true of us also. There's no getting around it. There's no getting around it, though. There are often expectations that go along with who we are. He's going to mention some titles today, titles like evangelist, like elder, like pastor. Certain things are expected if that title is laid on you. Why? Because with those names, with those titles, the inference is that uh, we will know certain things. You know, if you're a pastor, there are certain things that are assumed that you know. And when we know certain things, it affects the way we live and how we act. Along with those names, along with those titles... Come certain expectations. Now, Paul in chapters one through three tells the Ephesian Christians who they are. He gives them what I titled the talk. And in the first three chapters of his letter to Ephesus, the Apostle Paul lays a bunch of names on his readers in order to remind them, or for some of them, to teach them for the first time about their high position, about their high calling in Christ. And in chapters one through three, Paul gives them the talk. They needed the talk. We need the talk, don't we? And I think that many of them, probably through this epistle, through this letter, started to, maybe for the first time, understand and believe the implications of the titles that have been given to them. They began to feel liberation from many of the fears that go along with the title orphan. They, 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 they were once unloved, but now 
they find out that God loves them. And they began to understand the feeling of being loved by Almighty God. No matter where they are, no matter where they're from, God loves them. And, and they started to experience freedom. Freedom that comes with an understanding that, yes, I've been forgiven of my past. Of everything that has happened in the past, I have been forgiven. The liberation that comes with knowing that they're part of the family of God. And in fact, Paul said, legally seated in the place of honor at that very moment in heaven. It's as good as done. That sort of knowledge has a way of changing a person. And I think it probably changed a lot of those Christians in the city of Ephesus. And I think, I'm just supposing here, that they were probably talking the talk to other people too. Reminding them, reminding other Christians who they were in Christ. And that's all great. And that's all wonderful. And it's all needed. To understand who you are. To replace the lies of Satan, Ephesians 6, with your true identity. You know what? When, when you start doing that, it, it starts to liberate you. It just does. And I think that was one of Paul's goals when he sat down to write this letter to them. But there was more. In light of their new understanding of who they were, in light of their new titles, Paul believed that there had to be new accompanying expectations. And there were. Proceeding from the talk had to come what? The walk. You can't just do the talk. What comes after that is the walk. In fact, Paul believed that if there was no walk after the talk, that there is reason, a real reason to believe whether the talk really did any good at all, whether they really got it at all, or whether it was understood. So beginning in chapters 4 through 6, he begins to draw a picture of what the walk looks like. Whether you have truly understand or understood who you are will always determine what you do. That's why he says in verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to what? Live. You know who you are. We had the talk, right? And he says right at the top in chapter 4, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Hey guys, Paul says, you've had the talk. Now let's walk the walk. So what are the elements of a worthy life? What, is the, what does the walk look like? Throughout the rest of the series uh, in the book of Ephesians, we're going to find out. And he starts off by saying that a worthy life is one that is about investing in your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what this is about. That's what these first 16 verses are about, basically. And in building them up, seeing them who may not be mature become mature in their faith, to see their faith expanded. So how do I do that? You know, what, what methods? You know, how, how, do, how, do we, how do we see that come about? Well, there's three things that God has given us to use to build up the body of Christ and to build up the people sitting in front of you and next to you, people in this church and people in the body of Christ. What we do, what we say, and what we expect. That's what he talks about in these 16 verses. Those three things help us, if employed correctly, to build up the body of Christ. The first thing is what we do. We build up others by 
our actions. And the actions in these first 16 verses have to do with the gifts of the Spirit. Down in verse 7, Paul says, but each one of us, Christians he's talking to, again, to each one of us, grace or a gift, words are used kind of interchangeably, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, we've talked about this uh, pretty extensively in the past here. But let me say that at your conversion, God apportioned a gift or gifts through the Holy Spirit to every single person who the Holy Spirit dwells in. Now, these Holy Spirit gifts or graces were given so that you, so that I, could affect the world in a very powerful way. See, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gave us on our spiritual birthday are... What are they? There's certain aptitudes, there's certain abilities, there's certain talents that have in themselves the capacity to be used to bring about fundamental healing and holy change in other Christians. See, they have the capacity. They don't always do it because sometimes we don't use them. But they have the capacity to do incredible things. So a spiritual gift, then, Paul says, is not what you are. It is what you do. It is action. It is doing. We're not talking about something on the inside. It is a spiritual gift, a spiritual grace, an ability. It's a visible thing that you do that meets the crying needs of people. What makes a gift a gift is whether God uses you as you use it to bring release and to bring help and to bring healing and to bring wholeness to others. See, that's how you know it's a gift. Now, every single, every single person here, everybody here, has different and diverse gifts. Everybody here does not have the gift of preaching. Everybody here does not have the gift of teaching or mercy. In, in a, are we all to be merciful? Yes, but there are some people who are just, it's, it's kind of like dripping out of them. You know, it's like, it's like they see, you know, a- anything. They see a bird, you know, and the wing is kind of not going right. They, you know, they want to climb up in the tree and take the bird down and do something with the bird. You know, somehow bring it, to, bring it to some a bird doctor or whatever they call them. I know there's a special name for a bird doctor. But they will do that because, you know what, they have so much mercy inside of them. They're kind of gifted that way. There are people who, um, you know, we all are called on to give like we did. We had a special offering just now. We all are called on to give. But there are some people who, when they give... There is a joy and an excitement. I remember the first time I really talked to somebody who I felt had the gift of giving, really, and they were so excited. I'm like, really? I'm like, I, okay, I do it, but I'm not doing cartwheels over it. See, it, 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 it brings great joy, and they gave in abundance. See, see, one of the ways you can know it's a gift is that when you use it, if you feel fulfilled and, and you know, we see change around us, Okay? It's what you do. It's when you're doing stuff. We all have diverse gifts. We're all different gifts. Um, And all the diversity goes back to one source. You know what it goes back to? To Jesus Christ himself. Now, I don't know all the graces and all the gifts that are represented here at the Crossing Church this morning. But one thing I do know, Jesus Christ had them all. He had them all. He had the gift of preaching. He had the gift of counsel. When Jesus counseled, you walk out. Do you ever go to counsel and you walk out and you go, man, that was a waste. When you were in Jesus' presence, something happened when he counseled. When he preached and he gave an altar call, somebody always responded. See, he had the gift of mercy and the gift of giving and the gift of teaching and the gift, you know, his gift of hospitality would be the subject 
of a hundred Hallmark made-for-TV movies. You know, if he sat on the Supreme Court, the wisdom of Jesus, right away his opinion would be the only one that mattered. Almost, almost immediately. If he was the only speaker at the Global Leadership Summit, that's all you'd need. Because he was the consummate leader. If he ran the Department of Motor Vehicles, you wouldn't want to kill yourself just thinking of having to go there. Because his administration gifts were that great. He was the only person who ever lived who literally had it all. He had all the gifts in full measure. He was full of faith, believing and knowing that all things are possible with God. All the time he believed that. He was the consummate voice of encouragement. His eyes are always wide open to need. Now, all the gifts that we see displayed through the church in the world today, he possessed to the fullest capacity that's possible. And here's the kicker. He distributed all those gifts amongst the church, amongst the people of the church, that we are the church. And in verse 7, he says this, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, the word apportioned means that he has distributed portions of his ministry power to every member of his church as he sees fit. No one has them all, but everyone has, I like to say, at least one, I think more than one. I really do. These ministry powers of Jesus. Spiritual gifts mean that each of us, each of us has a ministry ability that is part of the ministry ability of Jesus Christ. And to prove this point, he paints a mental picture in verses 8 through 11. I'm not going to read it again, but you can look at it. What's he talking about in verses 8 through 11? In verses 8 through 11, uh, he's talking about something that uh, your typical ancient, you know, Near Eastern person would have understood once a battle was over. You, would, you know, if you're a citizen of Rome or, or, or you know, further east than that, whatever, it, was, it kind of went along the same, the same way. Where, where when the army came back, they would camp, you know, five, eight miles outside of the city uh, the night before, and then they'd come marching in victoriously. And at the, head of the, at the head of the entourage was who? It was the king. It was the conquering. Even if he didn't go out to fight, he left his palace. He got out of bed early one day, and he went out to meet with, you know, with his troops. And he came in. He was the conqueror. It was literally a victory parade. So the king himself led it, and he was on a platform that, or a chariot pulled by horses. And immediately behind the king, there were the generals, there was the victorious army, and they would march into the city victoriously, and everybody would take flowers, and they would throw them at you know, the troops as they came in. After all, they had just won a tremendous victory for the king. Behind them would be the captives. They would be the generals, uh, the representatives of the vanquished army. Most of the time in chains. And the last thing on the parade route would be the treasures. The spoils of war. The gold. The armor. The jewels. The wonders of the foreign land that had been taken as plunder. And this train would march through the city. And people would cheer. And people would sing. And they're selling hot dogs. And it's just a, it's, it's just a whole thing. It's just a whole, it's, the whole day was just a big party atmosphere. Now at the end of the parade, the king would come out of his chariot... When he got to the city square, he would ascend the stairs to a throne that had been set up for him, and everybody would come around him, as many people as can possibly fit, and he would take treasure that had been conquered and plundered from the foreign land, and he'd start whipping it out to the crowd. 
You know, could you imagine the frenzy in that crowd? I mean, could you even imagine if you did that down at Wall Street or something? You know, what, what, what would be going I mean, basically, you know, gold and jewels. I mean, you do just about, you'd bite somebody, you'd kick them, you'd do anything you can to pick those stuff up, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd do, and he would just throw out these incredible gifts to all these people. And there was a frenzy. The gifts were out there. And what he's saying is basically, what Paul was saying was this. Jesus Christ is in a place to give us gifts because he has already triumphed over all the things that have enslaved us, enslaved anybody, enslaved anybody really in the entire world. Christ is the one, see, he did battle against the forces of evil and death, and he is the one who had this titanic struggle his whole life, and then the final battle on Calvary, and he won the victory on the cross, and it is Christ who was raised again, and now he's ascended on high, where he showers, this is the picture, showers his people with gifts so that they can then go out, not put it in the bank, they can go out and change the world. See, that's the difference with the treasure between, you know, that's where the illustration kind of falls apart. They'd be running home, you know, and buried it somewhere. We were given it so that we could redistribute it and bring health and holiness and hope to people. And he has given us those powers. Spiritual gifts are a way to free people as you have been freed by Christ. And a way to bring them closer to Jesus. A way to meet their needs in such a way that they're free from the things that have always enslaved them. And the goal is really simple. You know what the goal is, verse 10? To fill the whole universe. That's all. Just to fill the entire universe with the presence and the power, and the praise of Jesus. Jesus, when he ascended to rule in heaven, gave gifts to his people so that they could help bring about his rule in all the universe. Do you know that that's, that's your job? To help bring about the rule of Jesus in all the universe. Now, look, I, I'm not going to be flying to Mars anytime soon, so I can't, I can't really bring it there. I don't think there's anything there anyway, Okay. But if there was, we'd figure, I'd figure out a way to get there somehow, maybe, and start bringing the praise of Jesus there. Right now, I'm confined to earth. So, see, this is, this is my environment. This is where I do everything I can through the giftedness that God has given to me to bring about his rule on the earth so that his rule would be pushed out, the boundaries extended, so that we would see people delivered to take what is, to make it better, as we spread his influence through his ministry power. Now, there are, you know, theologians always, they got to title everything, which is, which is fine, I get it. But they title certain gifts, you know, in different ways. And the gifts that, that Paul is talking about here, and he highlights uh, in verse 11, are called equipping gifts, because these people equip others to use their gift. You got pastors, you got teachers, you got evangelists. Specific equipping giftedness so that the church could not only identify their own giftedness, but could then go out and change the world. See, and do the works that God has prepared beforehand that we should do. Remember chapter 2, we talked about that, verse 10 in chapter 2. Everyone has gifts to minister to others. Towards what end? To equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says, guys, you've been given the talk. Now start walking the walk by building each other up. You know what the church is about? It's about preparing the saints for service. It's about helping each other grow in our spiritual maturity. And let me say, uh, if that was unimportant, then we probably wouldn't need the church at all. You have been given the talk, now walk the walk by building each other up, Paul says. And one of the ways we build each other up is by using his Holy Spirit-given gifts to build each other up, to do that stuff. Second thing, second tool he's given us, uh, we we build up others by uh, certain expectations, by our expectations, and I want to explain that. It's all about reaching spiritual maturity. We just said that, right? We just read that. And it's interesting how he puts it. He puts it in negative terms. Look at verse uh, uh, 14. He says, then we will no longer be what? Infants. Do you know what's created? Listen, do you know what's created when the Spirit of God comes into, into a life of an individual? Do you know what's created? A baby. A baby is created. Okay, Jesus, what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You know, this old man probably walking in on a cane in, in John chapter 3. We didn't, we didn't coin this term, by the way. Jesus coined it. And he said, he said, Nicodemus, you must be what? You must be born again. See, Jesus, the Baptists didn't figure out that terminology. Jesus did. You've got to become, Nicodemus, you have to become a baby. Now, there are two things of, of great interest here. First of all, uh, he, he said in verse 13, uh, we all, we all, until... We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Paul is including who in that? He's you and himself. Paul's including him, which blows my mind a little bit. Because if Paul, in some aspects of his faith, considered himself an infant, I'm about eight minutes old. At tops, you know, tops, if Paul considered himself almost infantile in some aspects of his faith. And he seems to be saying, look, I think he's saying two things here. He's saying, number one, the church is comprised of babies in one form or another. There may even be mature, very mature individuals, mature Christians. But you know what? There are probably aspects of their faith and aspects of their living which almost are infantile sometimes. Almost like a toddler. And the second thing I think he's saying is if it wasn't for the church, we would forever remain in that condition. If it wasn't for the gifts of individuals being displayed and used and acted on each other, helping each other along, we would forever remain immature. But listen, when he talks about being infants, that's not, that's not a preferable condition. It's not something, well, you're infants, that's fine. No, that's not, that's not it at all. It's not a condition we should stay in. It, it, it just is. It just is. Now, when you think about infants and you think about babies, uh, he talks about them specifically in verse 14. He says, they will, then we will no longer be infants. Here it is. Ready? This is about infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You know what Paul's saying about babies? 
They're not very discerning. Babies are not, if you give them a banana, they'll eat the banana. If you give them something out of a box with a skull and crossbone on it, they'll eat that. Whatever you put on a spoon and put towards their mouth, they'll, they willingly will t- ingest it. They'll take it in. They're not discerning. A baby just wants to eat. You know, whoever's sticking that spoon, that's great with them. And one of the areas where Christians who are babies are most susceptible to ingesting something that will hurt or even kill them is in the area of doctrine. It's in the area of teaching. That's why it's so important, it's so important to preach from the word. Not to have a word from our sponsor or to give a little devotional talk. We need, whether it's somewhere, we need a, a full dose of the word of God continually. I was telling somebody this week, you know, everybody has different things when they do their devotions. If they have a time with, with the Lord, which we all should have, um, you know what I do? I just read scripture. For years I was going, ah, I should read this book, I should do this, should do that. I, th- that's what I do. I just read scripture. I continually go through the Bible. Because I know that, you know, like someone trying to figure out counterfeits, don't, don't study the counterfeit, study the real deal. If you study the real deal, then when the counterfeit comes up, you get it. You're already on top of it. Okay? That's why it's so important to go to the word. Paul said that in the end times, people will not want to get their truth from the word. But, but they, will, they want to hear teaching that tastes good for the moment, but will kill them two months down the road. And, and bad man-centered teaching, I think, is killing many people today. People need to figure their way around the word. Okay? Babies aren't discerning. I tell you something else about baby that's tr- babies that are true. They're all about themselves. They are all about themselves. Baby, even toddlers are completely self-centered. You know what they want? What they want. You know when they want it? Right now. Uh, you, you have to teach them. You have to socialize human beings. Can you imagine if you never taught them? There are some people who you say, you know, who were, you were raised by wolves or something because they just don't know how to even be with people. They just, you know, they're always pushing their way to the head of the line. You have to socialize them. You have to train them. They're always crying, babies, because their feelings are always getting hurt. Spiritual babies uh, are, are all about themselves, too. They're always worried about how they look, whether they're getting a fair shake. You know what you hear from, you know what you hear from spiritual babies' mouths a lot of times? That's not fair. That, 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 that's not fair. And as far as criticizing, criticizing them, Constructed, forget it, okay? Forget about, uh, and forget about waiting for them to say, I was wrong, that's totally on me. That will never happen. You know why? Because they are the center of the universe. See, babies are all about themselves. Tell you something else about babies. They're really unsteady on their feet. Really unstable on their feet. What does it say? Tossed, what? Back and forth by the waves and blown here and there. You know what he's saying? Babies will go towards anything that's sparkly. They'll just, it, it's like, you know, oh, oh, I'm here, but I might be here in another three seconds. You know, I, that's just, they, they have a very short attention span. Very short attention span. They cannot stay on message very long. They can't follow through with anything. When I'm with my granddaughters, uh, Jace is three years old and Emerson's 10 months old. Jace can kind of stay with something for a little while now. But Emerson, she goes, you know, she starts at her kitchen set, there's a little kitchen set, and she goes to her stuff there, and then she goes to a puzzle. And if you walk in after about 30 minutes, 
There's stuff everywhere. The place is a mess. It's a disaster. You know, young mothers are picking up. All, they actually aren't picking up all day. They let a, just the explosion happen. At the end of the day, I think they, they pick it up, right? That's moms. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we understand how that happens. Why? Because you're dealing with someone. You're not going to say to this little, this little infant, all right, now play with this for 20 minutes. That's, forget it. It's beyond them. You know, sometimes people come to Sunday morning service, and, and, and God speaks to them, and they are convicted, and they're sure that they're supposed to do this, that, or the other thing. They said, you know, starting today, I'm going to whatever. And by Tuesday, it's, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, well, you know, whatever. On to the next thing. On to the next sparkly object. On to the next interesting subject. No follow through, you know? You're kind of like this, back and forth, like a wave's hitting them, okay? And you know why they do that? They have no patience. You're a baby, spiritually speaking, if you need to be entertained all the time. I really believe that. Uh, one expositor brought to light the, t- uh, the time, remember when Jesus sent out the disciples on the preaching tour? Uh, this grand grade preaching tour in Luke chapter 10. And, and in Luke 10, he gave them powers to cast out demons and heal the sick and do all sorts of amazing, wonderful things. And when they got back, you know, they come back and Jesus says, so how'd it go, guys? And they said, it went fantastic, boss. Okay, yeah, we're freeing people from demons. We're doing healing of the sick. And on and on and on they go. Luke chapter 10, you look at it. And Jesus' response, you'd think it'd be, okay, guys, get in here. High fives right up and down the line, right? That's not his response. You know what Jesus did when he heard it? He rebuked them. He rebuked them. He said this in verse 20. He said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you know what he was saying to them? Grow up. Grow up. Don't be ultimately excited about healings and such. Be excited that you will live forever with your Father in heaven. Don't get all excited that today God is answering your prayer in some miraculous way and you're seeing great things happening so that you could share it with your prayer group. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you will be with God forever and ever in heaven. If I ask you today, how are things going? Spiritually. And all you can point to is numbers and miraculous signs and exciting things that, a, you know, kind of a fairly skilled magician can do. You're still a baby. You're still an infant. Don't be looking for the spectacular. If it happens, praise the Lord. Don't be saying to God, in effect, what have you done for me lately? I need a fix today. It's Wednesday. I need something big. If you do, you're a spiritual baby. Now, here's some things to keep in mind. Uh, Don't be surprised in this environment that we just talked about, that Paul's talking about right here. Don't be surprised if where there's a load of babies, you smell poopy diapers. I'm just saying right now, okay? Don't be shocked by immaturity. Don't be surprised if you see immaturity all around you and people who are going in their pants, sorry, all the time. Okay, that's going to happen. New birth, is it a good thing, new birth? Is new birth a good thing? It's a fantastic thing. You know what it means, new birth? That there's new life. But with new life comes some pretty stinky things. 
until they reach maturity. What did he say when dealing with others? This is what, this is what he starts. He starts right off the, ch- the chapter with it in verse 2. You know what he says? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Why did he start off saying that? Because he knew where there's a lot of infants and a lot of spiritual babies. We've got to have a lot of love and a lot of uh, humility and a lot of gentleness and a lot of patience with each other. One thing I said I would never do ever again once my kids grew up, I said I would never change another poopy diaper again. And I'm proud to say that I'm holding true to that, even though I have a couple of grandchildren. The other night, the other night I was with uh, my 10-month-old Emerson, and she smelled ripe. And I picked her up at arm's length and went like, I think my, my legs were, 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 were stiffened too. I don't know why that was. I was like Frankenstein. And I walked over to my daughter and deposited her with my daughter and handed her over to her mother. Now, if you smell things that make you turn your nose up, spiritually speaking in the church, we really can't. That was kind of immature of me. I, I understand it, but I don't care. I, I'm still not doing it. I'm not doing it ever again. But, but we, see... We don't have the option to do that, spiritually speaking, in the church. If you smell things that make your nose turn up, and, and you start see, saying, I'm not dealing with this. I'm done cleaning poopy diapers. You know what God says? No, you're not. No, you're not. Spiritually speaking, the church can never say that. Never. Paul says, you've been given the talk, now walk the walk. How? By building each other up. Another thing Paul said. <clears throat> he says, you know what? You're going to have a lot of poopy diapers, but don't ever be content with sitting in it yourself. Don't be content with being a baby yourself. No way. See, he wants us to desire maturity. He wants us to grow up. So here's my question. Is it happening? Are you... As you think about yourself a year ago, think about yourself last November, okay? Thanksgiving, you're thinking about Thanksgiving. Remember what you did last year? Are you steadier on your feet than a year ago? Do you follow th- through with things when God is telling you to do this, that, or the other thing? Just a bit more. Just a bit more. Do you think of others more? Are you able to point out truth from a lie better than you could just a year ago. If not, why not? Why not? Do you want to grow up? Do you want to remain an infant? Or do you want to live a life that is worthy of the upward call of Jesus Christ? You have been given the talk. Now, we got to walk the walk. The first thing Paul says we have to do if we're walking, uh, walking the walk is to build up the church, build each other up. Expect the best from your brothers and sisters, but don't be shocked if there's still a bit of growing up to do. Last thing, we need to, we, we can build each other up by our speech, by what we say. Verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Unless and until we become a community that cares as much for truth as we do love and as much about love as we do truth, we will always remain infantile. 
will always remain babies. A, a church, have you ever been in a church that is just saturated with love? It's love, 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 love. And warm, you, you walk in there, it's warm, comfortable. You, you expect them to take it, put you in an easy chair and bring you a drink and, you know, turn on the game or something for you. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just an overwhelming love, 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 love. But you're there for a while and no one ever says anything. You know, you, you, you say some pretty kind of stinky things and no one ever says anything. No one ever comes up, no one, there's no such thing as, you know, one, you know, loving you enough to come up and correct you. And, and a lot of times, you know why that is? It's because we don't want to hurt somebody. We don't want them to be hurt. Or, or gasp, we don't want them to be angry with us, you know? And because of that, we allow them to continue their lives blissfully walking towards a cliff we're not helping anybody if we're just love, 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 and no truth. Folks, we don't need more people who love us. We need more friends who will tell us the truth about ourselves. And a church that is heavy on truth, okay? Have you ever been in a church like that? I have. And, and they're really light on the love. Really heavy on the truth, really light on the love. Those type of churches, churches you know what they do? They crush people. They absolutely annihilate people. They have a tendency to run off more people than they attract, and they end up turning people away from the truth. So, you know, whether I'm afraid to tell you the truth for fear that you won't like me, you might reject me, or I pound the truth because I know the truth, and you don't, obviously, and you're going to know the truth before you get out of my presence. You know what? We're all doing what suits us best. And it's all, literally, when you think about it, it's all about us. If you are imbalanced towards love or, or towards truth, there's an imbalance that will keep you immature and will keep this church immature. Folks, we have been given the talk, but now we need to walk the walk. And part of the walk is building up people with truth and with love in equal measures. Now, the one person and the one place where both truth and love met perfectly was in Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross told us, you know what the cross tell, tells people? This mess is because of you. This man being tortured is because you are so bad that this had to happen. The cross says, Look at this mess. You are such a vile sinner that it took the Son of God dying in this torturous way to make things better. It was on the cross where the wrath of God was crucified. That's how bad you are. But the cross says something else, too. The cross says you are so loved, you are so valued by Jesus Christ, that as he is pinned on the cross, he says, I am doing this for you. That's how much you mean to me. Amazing love. The, this, remember, amazing love, how can it be, the hymn, that thou, my God, wouldst die for me. And until you understand the depth of your sin, you will never really understand the height of his love. And until you realize the height of his love, you will never fully come to grips with how lost you really are. See, we need both. Truth of who we are 
and the truth of the love of God who was tortured and who died and rose again and sits as we speak at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor for you. And when, it, when we as a community begin to understand those twin truths and begin to speak it to each other, we will begin to really mature. You've been given the talk, now walk the walk by going out and building each other up. That's the beginning of living a worthy life. God uses you to build up your brother and your sister to seeing them become mature in their faith. How do I do that? Well, it's by what we do, using our gifts to build each other up. It's by what we say, speaking truth and love. And it's by what we expect from each other. From others, sometimes, you know what? Okay, I get it. I, they're growing. And what we expect of ourselves. See, that's how we build up the body. Crossing Church, you have been given the talk. Now we need to walk the walk by building each other up in Jesus.